Welcome to another episode of the Grace in Common podcast, a podcast with four friends, four theologians from four different countries and three different continents where we talk New Calvinism, theology and culture. My name is Marinus de Jong, I'm a pastor of the Oosterparkerk in Amsterdam, the Netherlands and an assistant professor at the New Calvinism Research Institute in Utrecht. Uh, with me today are Corey Brock uh, from the United States, pastor of St. Columbus Free Church in Edinburgh and lecturer at Edinburgh Theological Seminary, and James Eglinton, senior lecturer of Reformed Theology at the University of Edinburgh. So welcome to um, another episode of our fourth season. Um, Gray is unfortunately not there this time for recording, and James and Corey are in one room in Edinburgh even. Um, and we are going to talk, this is a second uh, in a two-part on the last chapter of uh, New Calvinism, a theological introduction, the church in the world. We use have been using those chapters for this season and the past one to guide our discussion on several themes, uh, windows into it. And um, so last time I wasn't there and they took the opportunity to celebrate the distinction between organism and institute without um, Schilder being able to raise his objections, which is, of course, problematic. Um, so luckily we have uh, a second episode where some of the damage done can maybe be uh, be undone a little bit. Um, yeah, so let me start by, by, by doing kind of a disclaimer of those last episode and and raising some of those objections, and our discussion can flow from that. Um, so, Schilder um, did not at all agree with the distinction between the church's institute and organism, um, and the reason for which he did that was something you discussed in the previous episode, um, namely that the distinction makes that the institution of the church gets downgraded, becomes less important, can be relativized um, because when you say that the church is no longer the institution but is the organism um, and within Kuiper and it's such things are also in the chapter um, in 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 the, the the book is that the organism is um, the being of the church the essence while the institution is only the well-being of the church and thus not like a necessity um, to it, and for him, that came across as that it it could mean that the church is not important, um, and of course, this is not what Babbage and Kuiper try to do or want to do, and you 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 showed that well, and and Kuiper labored for the institutional church uh, for much of his life, and it was obviously very important to him. But still, I think there is Schilder is right in saying that, and I look forward to hear what you say about that. Um, in saying contrary to what you claimed a little bit, is that this is that it is an inherent risk or danger in like the neo-Calvinist framework and in the distinction as well that indeed the institution of the church uh, is downplayed or becomes less important. Um, and I think Schilder saw that happening uh, in the Reformated Kerken in after uh, Bavik and Kuiper passed away. Um, and I think if you look at the contemporary. Um, way the Protestant evangelicals deal with ecclesiology, it becomes even more relevant. And 
I think therefore many people have raised that issue, that concern with regard to New Calvinism. Um, I mean, last time you mentioned Bavink when visiting the United States that uh, they have no churches or they have no ecclesiology. Yes, there's there's a the yeah, there's, there are churches here. in the United States for sure, yeah. a lot more than here. Um, but the church does not exist. That that is exactly what my feeling was when I uh, first visited the United States, and it strikes me every time I'm back. Um, and it's increasingly so in the Netherlands as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is an inherent tension or danger within neo-Calvinism, within that distinction, um, especially when you say that the organism is the essence over against institution. Um, so what do you guys think? So I guess one of the things <clears throat> I would come back to you on is just to ask some questions. Like, so for Skilder, does he have a distinction between the visible and invisible church? No. So that's also um, a distinction he is critical of. Um, not to say that there is no such thing as, an, as a, that there is a, an invisible aspect to the church. I mean, that's kind of hard to deny. There's many people who um, have passed away who are part of the church and we can't see them and we cannot see the church all at once because it's in so many different times and locations. So, but these, according to him, are like, you could talk about invisible aspects of everything. I mean, even like a sports club has an invisible and a visible side in that sense. So he says we, we should not like theologically um, make that put too much weight to it. Because again, then you're going to say, oh, well, the church is in the end is invisible. It's just the invisible number of the elect. And then the visible church uh, becomes downplayed and becomes less important. But go ahead. This was a question to start an argument, I guess. <laughs> well, um, and so so for, for Skilder, he wants to talk uh, with reference to the church um, as institution. Or does he, does he even, does he use the language of institution primarily as a descriptor of the church? Or? Yes. So he would say the church is the visible institution. So where word and sacrament are administered, where people gather like all the all the emphasis is on the gathering of the people, um, uh, but uh, like um, what I what yeah so what I, what I take from it is that he just wants to, um, I mean all those things are extremely valuable like the the notion of the organic church but he would just say that's not mm -hmm. church, it's extremely helpful to have that concept like that um, people that the, the the life of the church is not just in the institution. Uh, that for him is very clear. He's totally on Kuiper's side there. Uh, but he doesn't just want to use the word church for that because that's confusing, he believes. Hmm. So, like, I guess he's putting more weight on the concept of ecclesia as assembly. Yes. And, okay, and so the church is gathered. That's, that's the church is always gathered. Yes, it's the, ac it's, it's a, it's the gathering by God of his people um, if, through word and sacrament and that is what the church is um and all the other stuff is just fine but it's not church okay so what how does he speak about like the the living body as it is uh, sent into the into the city after the benediction for instance does he have a particular language for what what is the ecclesia scattered yeah i guess he would say that is the kingdom of god so in in my in my 
in, in my thesis, I, as a kind of hypothesis, say that Bavin of Schilder replaces the language of the organic church with a talk of the kingdom of God. Um, and that that has also problems because I think the emphasis maybe with the kingdom comes too much on human activity instead of God's activity. Um, but that's, 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 I think, how he, how, how he does it. Um, and he ties together the kingdom of God to the church very closely. Um, not by saying that the church and the kingdom are the same, but you can never speak of the kingdom without the visible uh, institutional church. Th these are intimately connected because the church is the primary place where God works uh, and the primary way through which he builds his kingdom on earth, right? So uh, for a clarification um, about the content of, Schil of Schilder's critique. So is he? did he say that or think that if you have an organism institute distinction, then you will definitely end up collapsing the institution into the organism, or is he? Was he trying to offer a voice of warning that if you get this wrong, this is the particular disordered form that develops at the end? Like it, it's kind of like you know with slippery slope arguments. Um, some so, so there are two different kinds of slippery slope arguments. One is. Um, an argument about inevitability you know the moment that you step on the top of the slippery slope you've guaranteed that you will end up at the bottom but there's another kind of slippery slope argument that poses questions about whether there's a restraining force so that although the slope is a slippery one um like there's some there's something that binds you to the top so that you won't actually fall down so the you know ending up at the bottom of the slope isn't inevitable uh, maybe we, we could ask the same kind of question for schilder with um, with common grace he has all of these critiques of how common grace could go badly wrong as a doctrine and that it just means you baptize sinful human culture and um, then the, what you end up with is pretty different from where you began. But with, with those kinds of warnings, um, how definite is the, the outcome? Or is, is he a kind of theological like prophet of doom saying, like, un unless you repent, unless you correct what you have, then this is what will happen? Yeah, so it's it's an excellent question because, um, well, my reading, I mean, the way Schilder writes is the way in which he says, abandon this distinction because it's bad, it's wrong, it leads to heresy. Um, that that's that's what he says, right? And he will say the same with common grace. Um, I think the way I read him is that I'd rather read him in the first way you described, namely, not this is inherently a bad distinction but it just has certain risks and tendencies um, that we that we should avoid. And and so I read Schilder as a way of, okay, so we, can we, is it possible to drop this distinction and still keep why it was helpful? Um, um, so, uh, yeah, so that that's how I, how I take him. Um, but on the point of the church, I'm just, I'm just not so sure um, if, I mean, I use the distinction also when I teach my classes and I explain to people, and I find it helpful. Um, that's because from another perspective, you could say to Schiller, well, if you limit the language of the church to the institutional church, very quick, then an inherent risk may again be that we uh, turn our backs towards the world outside of the church because the church is all that matters, right? Um, and the whole notion of um, like cultural engagement, um, engagement with society, um, that they get 
lost. Um, so the way I look at it is that I, I see that both um, having the distinction and not having it both entail certain risks. Um, but in the context I am now, and is that I see that, for, and maybe that's different in your context, I'm not sure, but uh, I see that ecclesiology is is becoming weaker and weaker um, in Protestant and evangelical theology. Um, we, we don't really have a theology of the church. It's just the church is more like an accidental thing that inspires, may or may not inspire or help my faith. Well, all that matters is my personal individual faith, my the way I div- I connect faith and work, the way I am present at my work, but it's not, there's not a, uh, the church is just an instrument in that. Um, and I think, yeah, I find that like talking about the church's organism is just being picked up by people saying, oh, wow, that's great. Then still again, means I don't have to go to church because, I d- um, or, or, or just underlines what they already believe that the church is not necessary, but just something they can, they can use or not use, right? So I wonder if for Schilder with his critiques, um, or you know, even like if we move away from Schilder to you know, the kind of person that you were just talking about, who says church is organism, fantastic. I can you know just carry on with my week as it would normally be, and it's it's organic. It's it's not like the deliberate effort that's involved, uh, uh, you know, being part of an institution or something like that. And, and institutions are increasingly unpopular in western cultures in general at the moment um like we don't live in a in an age at the moment that's favorable towards all of that effort uh, and you see this political parties are asking the same kind of existential questions the church is doing that all kinds of charities anything that depends on like voluntary um effort that goes in in unglamorous ways in regular ways with a lot of delayed gratification for the cause all that kind of stuff um, so people from who live in a more unexamined way in that kind of a culture, when they hear the church's organism, then that's very attractive because you you get to be part of the church just by existing. Um, and it's more kind of accidental than deliberate, maybe. But for that kind of a person, you know, the kind of biblical text that I would want to talk them through and asking, okay, you know, so uh, how, how intentionally Christian are you being in like the parts of the church that you gravitate towards and the parts that you don't, it would be, you know, the Pauline mixed metaphor of being rooted and grounded, um, which is the metaphor and, and the, the rooted part is organic. The, um, um, and the grounded part is actually like an architectural metaphor. Um, and that is um, a really important text for Abraham Kuyper when he's developing his ecclesiology that actually, if you want to have a New Testament way of thinking about the church, you need to mix your metaphors because the church seems to be, it's like being part of two different things at the same time. So just the organic side on its own, you're kind of sub-biblical, I guess. Um, but then for Kuiper, I think if you just have the institutional side, then that's also sub-biblical in a different kind of way. Yeah, so you, you, what you're saying is that if you have a, have, have take a looking for a biblical basis, you just need more than just institution when you talk about the church, right? Is that is that the gist of your argument? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for example, I mean, I was listening to someone give a paper at a conference earlier this year, and he was talking about a particular ecclesiology that developed in Australia. I think it was a particular kind of Anglican ecclesiology that was very insistent on the church only existing when 
the people of God had actually been summoned and gathered together mm. for worship. And then at the end of the liturgy, the church actually ceased to exist until the people came back together again on the next Sunday. And in that kind of ecclesiology, um, um, you know, between like Sunday evening and the next Sunday morning, the church actually hasn't been reconstituted. There is no church. And I guess if you're, if you were to take that where it's only institution and there's a flat out denial of what Kuiper would call the organism or Bavink as well, I guess, um, it creates all kinds of questions then about what, what does it mean um, to be, um, what does it mean for the church's witness in the world? It means it's probably quite consequential actually, if the church is something that only might exist for a couple of hours a week. Um, once a week throughout the year, uh, you know, year after year, century after century. Um, but for people who are who are called, you know, who receive that call and then um, actually gather together for worship, who become part of the church for an, for an hour a week, um, what are you for the rest of the week? For example, I mean, the, there have, I guess there have to be um, arguments that can be developed for that. But actually, if you deny the functionally what what Kuiper and Bavinck would call the organism. There's a whole lot of theological legwork that needs to be done then that has a lot of bearing on things like discipleship, um, the the nature of the Christian life and the imitation of Christ in the world. Um, and it's, I think removing organism, it might, it might solve some problems with a quite disordered view of institution to organism, but it also creates a million new questions uh, that all need to be answered. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do see, I do see the problem. But I, yeah, and I, I, I also tend to, in my own language of the church, be, speak more broader of it than Schilder does, I think. But I mean, I, the, the other way around that we could ask, I mean, how is, like, what we are doing now? For example, we are recording a podcast. Is this? Are we being church now? We're not being church. We're being. This is a different sphere. We're being. We're 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 doing academic stuff right now. We're somewhere else. We're not. We're not being church people now. We don't do church stuff. I mean, if if I if my elder visits me tonight, then we that that's church again, right? Um. So, I wouldn't say it's limited, totally to um, that that only Sunday gathering. There's more, but it's also there's also kind of a clarity in just saying. No, we now I'm of course I'm still a Christian, um, and what I confess on Sunday in the church and what my what I speak with my elder when he comes and visits me is very relevant for what I do now. It's connected, but it's it's not the same. It's not what I'm doing now. And um, my kids are at school now. That they're, they're not church. They're not church members now. Well, they are, but they are not. That's not what they're doing. So I don't know. It, it, I'm, I'm not sure if it helps to all call that stuff church. Well, the organic idea is trying to highlight the uh, metaphor of the church as the body, right? And so it's capturing the mystical union that we have. So this is Kuiper's use of mm -hmm. it, that the church is first, the mystical union, the body that's unified to Christ by the Spirit. And the organism of the church is the living body that is united to Jesus no matter where we are, right? So we remain the church as we exit the institute, the building, the time between the call to worship and the benediction because we remain in Christ. Uh, we are the, in, the invisible body remains the invisible body and it's made visible both in the institute and when we leave 
uh, and exercise any kind of Christian witness out in the world, right? So, yeah, I just don't, I, I'm still, I don't, for for uh, Skilder, I don't, I don't understand or I don't uh, see how, um, what you're left with to say when the church exits the institute with respect to this uh, idea of that's the kingdom. But um, I, I would say, I think with Kuiper and Bavink, that that's not the kingdom. It's a witness to the kingdom, but uh, the church is not coextensive and it's organic uh, in its organic life with the kingdom of God. And so, um, the, the other, James is going to say something shortly, but the, the other, um, thing I was going to mention is just some of the texts in the new Testament where there, there are so many times where the word ecclesia or the concept of the church is used, where it does definitely, uh, speak, it's speaking institutionally. It's speaking of the gathered people or, you know, the church in Corinth sending the church in, uh, Rome needing to send money to the church in Jerusalem to support, the Christians there, and it's referring to this, these institutional dynamics. But then Paul will say things like, um, "I persecuted the Church of Jesus Christ," right? And by that, he doesn't mean the institute. He means that he uh, that he he called on people to stone Stephen, and in that he persecuted the Church. He says of Jesus, these people and f- pulling them out of their homes uh, in the middle of the day or whenever it may have been and ordering their executions. And so he persecuted the church in that way. He, he persecuted the body of Christ, the organic body of Christ as they were moving about their day. Now, sometimes that may have included assemblies, but at least in the case of Stephen or, uh, and I'm sure in other cases it did not. And so he, he does use the language, I think in both ways, but James. Yeah. Thanks Corey. So, um, building on that, you said there, Marina, you know, when my kids are at school, they're not doing church. And I, I think that the, the choice of verbs there is, is really important. So they're not doing church if by you know a verb like doing, we mean, um, you know, there's not preaching going on. There's no administration of the sacraments. Um, but I wonder if a better verb choice would be that when they are there, they're being the church which is quite different to doing church in that sense and then if you think about it as the, the organic church is the church being the church even when it's not doing the kind of things that actually are properly only done by the church when it's gathered as an institute then it opens us up to think about where Corey took that in terms of the witness um the organic church is the church when it is being a witness um from you know, monday to saturday and in the world um so I think, you know, if, if we have absolutely no concept or equivalent concept of organism, you know, call it what you like, where you're affirming that the church continues to exist, um, even when it's not gathered, um, you have to ha- have some ways of thinking about witness again, where let's say, you know, if I turn up at work on Monday morning as an individual who was part of the gathered church the day before, and I say and do all kinds of really terrible things that are that don't um, that don't make the institutional church that I'm part of look good in terms of its credibility. And um, if my colleagues um, who are not churchgoers or not who, who don't identify as Christians were to say, "Well, why would I go to church with you on Sunday to that gathered institution?" Because 
you know, look at what you're like as an individual on a Monday morning. Like, if I were to say, well, it's got these two things are completely separate. The church's institution is this thing, you know, that happens on a Sunday, but um, I'm like, that doesn't exist where I am here on Monday morning. I mean, that doesn't really work, and I think that's not very credible biblically. It's kind of disastrous in terms of the witness of the church, and actually really bad for the institutional life of the church as well. So we we you need some kind of really good resources that get us into the territory of talking about the witness of the church throughout the week. And um, if we're going to do away with the idea of organism, that, but that seems like a real and present danger as well. Um, like I think if you t- take away the idea of organism, if you pre- perform an organismectomy as a, as um, Bruce passed, um, he coined that, that great term at one point in one of his works, um, then we have to have some kind of like, in, like, deeply engrafted um, way of relating ecclesiology and witness as well. Um, otherwise, the organismectomy could be removing quite a vital organ. It's an organ that's playing a really important role. Yeah, well, what is interesting is that the way, the, the way in which this discussion goes now is, is I think, going the opposite way of what Schilder intended the discussion to go because he kind of wants to, the church to make the church more important and just make do not dissect it from... Uh, the rest of life. Um, so, so th- th- that's just, um, so it's, it's, I think it's precisely not what he meant. I mean, he, of course you are still representative and still connected to the church and you still are a church member when you are in all, in, in all those other spheres of life. Um, um, so I, I, I think what he kind of wants to do is say by, by lifting the institution as so central for your ecclesiology um he he makes it the way its position among the spheres becomes more elevated and more important than it is in Kaipur and Baving's um view, right? So he, he would he would be critical of saying that the church is is just one of the spheres. Um I think rather he would say the church should be um his image is kind of a, a fireplace in the center of the of the spheres um i think i use the imagery of a hub um a hub in the middle of all the spheres from where like you are um inspired and where you are where your connection with the living christ is kind of guaranteed or kept in place um where you hear his word and stuff like that which is all very much in line with what Bavik and Kuiper say and enables you to 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 work in the, in the other spheres um so well i don't know if that answers your question but he 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 kind of he kind of wants wants to make the church more important instead of less important although it may look sometimes that if he narrows it down very much Hmm. right so i think that yeah that's that's probably just an an important point maybe for listeners as well as they're getting into reading class hilder um that he, he i think uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think that he plays a distinct uh, and an important role in, let's say, the neo-Calvinist ecosystem of thinkers in that he's this critical voice within the tradition who is writing at a you know a couple of decades on from Herman Bavinck and from Kuiper, and he's able to use that distinct historical moment to to ask some... You know, he, he, he can test where the tradition is watertight and where it's not and shore things up but the way that he does that is through a distinct kind of criticism like internal criticism within the tradition um 
there's I, th- I think one of the most instructive things that I've read on him is in this little little book called um, Gesprek over de Onbekende Kuiper, um, conversation about the unknown Kuiper. It's by I think George Puchinger and I want to say Nico Scheps. Um, untranslated little Dutch book and there's one point there in this conversation about the unknown Kuiper where Puchinger is asked about Schilder and his place within neo-Calvinism and he he basically describes how Schilder is really important as as a as a critic actually um as this uh, someone who who really developed theological criticism of neo-Calvinism within neo-Calvinism um and that was quite a like a big full time task for Schilder in his own context, and also the times were quite intense um, and demanding. You know, he's writing in the midst of World War Two and um, you know major church division, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Schilder is well. I think what Puchinger said there is that Schilder is more um, substantive as critic you know someone who's testing out how well the ideas have developed thus far but he he didn't produce a kind of single positive body of theology like you know Bavinck's dogmatics for example um but that means that that with Schilder um he positions himself within neo-calvinism as like a moving piece of the puzzle rather than the kind of like he, he's not the final destination of his own thoughts if that makes sense the kind of like he doesn't reach the end destination of um okay this is the fixed articulation of what this should be because the times themselves are very fluid and combustible for him um but he he advances really important critiques like that so i think you know if we're looking at his criticisms of things like institution and organism or common grace um we should pay really careful heed to the the critique and the reasons for the critique but at the same time i think when i read schilder he's always an invitation to carry on thinking and to revisit what was there in the first place that he's criticizing yeah no i i I, yeah i i way off the no i I totally agree with you i think that's exactly how you should read him and it's also how he viewed himself i mean he he would never say that he, he he would never compare himself uh, in the sense of I'm um, that that he was was treading new grounds that he was uh, he was going beyond uh, Bavik and Capri always says well people people accused him of that very often but he always said no I'm just going I'm just trying to preserve the heritage their impulses I want to continue them um, but I want to um, I, I want to make some changes in risks I see so that's really how you should read him and and you are also right to say in that he doesn't really um, Although I think his thought is coherent, uh, he is not building like he's not building a system of thought uh, like Kuyper and Baver, Kuyper and Bavink did that. Um, Kuyper and that, Baver. That, that, that's that's oh, an interesting. Great. That's an interesting slip. Yeah, it's truly become right. Um, so no, so I think you you're right, and this is how you should read him. And I think our our discussion just shows that very well. Um, that if you sometimes take of his, of some of his critiques like too too far to his extremes, you end up again arguing something that exactly he, does, he didn't want to argue. Um, so yes, I, I agree with the, the picture you have there. So you'll see people make the same arguments today. I can think of several contemporary pastors or theologians that are saying some similar things right now, especially in the States that Skilder said about uh, 
the downplaying of the Institute because of theological distinctions like that. But I don't, I don't really know that. Well, I wonder in terms of the, the States, especially that if theological distinctions are really at the heart of what was, what happened, uh, I think like you mentioned earlier, just rabid individualism is actually the, the issue and the, uh, the distinction, the theological distinction is something that actually not very many people even know about, but it's um, just the conditions of the culture that create a downplaying of the institution in an age of uh, deep suspicion of institution anyway. But I guess one of the questions I was wondering is what, what is it that Skilder saw that led him to think of the distinction as dangerous? So what were the kind of precise issues in the middle 20th century Netherlands that led him because I guess on a first thought I wouldn't think it would be you know just me and the Bible and my quiet time is all I need but maybe it was that uh but where was was there really obvious uh death you know death to the institutional church sort of events taking place that made him uh pretty conscious of the danger of the distinction or what was it exactly? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are several fronts he saw why he emphasized this. Um, and I, by the way, I totally agree that um, it that like it's not so that like the distinction of organism and institute is responsible for people like denying the, denying the importance of the institutional church. Uh, it's it's not at all. I think what's going. It's not widely. It's not well known enough even for that. And it will only help people. I think appreciate the institutional church. So. I'm totally with you there. There are different causes. Um, I think one front for Schilder was pietism in his church, um, which just what you said, indeed, and that's exactly the same front Kuiper had, right? People who were just say, okay, I, I want to I want to go to church and I want to sing my songs and and prepare to go to heaven, say so, so in this, this like of ironic way Schilder can depict it. Um, so pietism that it turns his back on the world and on society. Um so I think for him, the church is a way to to ensure the communal, um, covenantal aspect of of just your life of faith, that it's not something you do alone. I think that was very important for him. Um, community was a buzzword word in the 1920s and 30s, uh, picked up by many theologians and also by Schilder. Um, so that, that for him is, is, is a key part, opposed to... Um, opposed to pietism, which is more individualistic. So yes, that's one thing. Um, I think another one is, is that I think what resonates behind, well, there's, there's another front, I think is just the rise of communism and fascism and national socialism in his days, where he just saw people who went to church, but were still member of the national socialist party. And then he was like, how is that even possible? That probably means that the confession of the church and the sermon that you hear there and the word of God that is preached at you, you don't really take it seriously because you, you cannot end up a member of the National Socialist Party if you really take it seriously. Um, so when, when, when the war broke out, uh, he would be in polemics with um, a major figure in the National Socialist Party who was also a member of the Reformed churches, of the Reformere, the, the, the Kuiperian churches. And he would say, um, it's, it's a lack of... It's it's the Reformed Confession that you don't take seriously, um, um, which you which connects you to the Church. That is the that that is where you are wrong, right? And that's where you need to convert and um, stop uh, being in favor of the 
being in favor of the German invaders. So these are two fronts. Um, and the, yeah, but, but go ahead. There's there's something else I could add, but go go ahead. Well, okay. Well, yeah. So I, I see it on the Pietism side, like that. That's an obvious one. But I guess when you talk about um, like then or now, when I look out and see a church, a institutional church that lacks a living community, it's the organism distinction that actually I would run to. To I would think you would naturally run to to try to say. You're not only the church here between the call to worship and the benediction, but you are uh, the church insofar as you are friends. You know, Christ Jesus has said, I've now made you friends with God, and now you're a living body outside this space. You're, you have a real call to be uh, deep, abiding friends with one another, so you should be getting together outside of this space and living as the organism, that the body with its branches extended out into the city, uh, both communally with each other and then also with, but I guess, I mean, I guess for him, maybe what you said earlier is that when a few Christians are gathered for the sake of community and hospitality, there is the church institutionally, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how he thinks about it. I don't know. The other thing I was going to say is that, uh, yeah, like, so if you have the same thing going where you've got a person attending the institute, but clearly has not taken the word of the gospel to their heart and is defending national socialism, for example. Um, then again, that to me, that there's an issue there where you have, you, you're immediately calling upon the distinction between the visible and invisible, right? And you're having to say there's a, there's a real difference in the Institute, which can be uh, full of those who are not truly part of the church and visible, and those that are, uh, and the regenerate simultaneously, right? That there's a distinction happening in there in the midst of the institution, necessitating a distinction between what you can see and what there really is in terms of the mystical body. Um, so yeah, those things would, I guess, instinctively drive me in that direction, back to organism and invisibility. But uh, I, I get it with the um, pietism one. But yeah, that's just, I guess, my instinct. But I, I wonder... What you think about that? Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. It just it so the things you just said. That's exactly indeed. So you use the 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 organism and an invisible church exactly to argue what Schilder also wants to argue, but he feels that these words do not do that well. While you immediately turn to those words to use them, so it 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 just makes visible how well how difficult it is to read Schilder well and to understand what he's getting at. Um, but just to, to maybe clarify how he makes that connection uh, with that National Socialist member of the church, of course he says that he needs to, yeah, you could say that he is then not really part of the church. Um, but but what he, how he saw it is that he would say, yeah, I'm part of the invisible church. Um, and that visible church that says I cannot be a member of the party well, that's just a visible church. I'm part of the invisible church. This is not that that person really used his line of argument, right? But that, that's what, Schild, what he hypothetically would say. And he would say, well, the, the church's institute is is, is just the uh, part of the, the well-being of the church. The being of the church is the organic church where I'm a part of. Um, I'm, I, the individual, stand before God and, and this part of the mystical body of Christ. And what the institutional church tells me about what I can or cannot do or what this class Schilder says that the confession means, I don't really care. That's just institutional church. It's not, not, it's not so important. Um, so, right. You, you, I, 
is this helpful in seeing yeah. how we how we mean yes to what you're saying yeah. that's that's helpful yeah that's yeah. helpful yeah yeah so yeah and maybe to 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 add another layer to it i think deep down what connects schilder's concerns um is a connection between god and history um is in saying i mean he was shaped very much by the first world war um where he saw that 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 like people could not connect god and history anymore because of the because the first world war was was experienced as a collective failure of christianity and then um and so what 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 he what he, what he, I think, I think is getting at with his emphasis in ecclesiology is to, to just talk about like the concreteness in which God is present uh, in this world, right? Not, that is not something that you can, that is vague or mystical, uh, but it's, but it's concrete. It's just, it's, it's a bit like Bonhoeffer in that sense. When Bonhoeffer says uh, concrete uh, imitation of Christ following him, um, just, um, um, in actual in actual deed, I think that there's a very similar call Schilder has to to, for example, uh, that Pietist who 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 just wants to um, wants to do it individualistically, and for him that's like you just run away from what God asks you to do concretely, and that he does through the church very concretely, uh, through sermons, through sacraments, visibly. Um, and also for that national socialist who says, no, um, I don't care what the church says. And Schilder would say, no, the church is, is, is very concretely what God is doing in this world. And, 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 and saying the church is not important, it's just a way of escaping that concrete uh, imitation of Christ. So a lot of the discussion so far has been on Schilder and his critical ways of looking at institution and organism in ecclesiology. But by this point in the conversation, we've kind of pivoted to another feature, actually, that's quite prominent in the chapter in the church in the world with talking about the church and the spheres and, and sphere sovereignties that relates to this. Um, and we we did touch on sphere sovereignty in the, the first part of this discussion in the, the, the other episode on the chapter. Um, so I don't want to repeat that. But is so when we're thinking about the importance of sphere sovereignty in a neo-Calvinist ecclesiology, does Schilder also have anxiety about um, sphere sovereignty? Like, so anything equivalent to you know his criticisms of organism and inst or institute, especially? Well, yes, he does. <laughs> of course, he does. No, um, no, he he is he is very critical of the idea of the spheres, um, um, exactly uh, because he saw that as a way to like isolate the importance of the church by saying it's just a sphere. Um, so he, he especially, and, and yeah, so he, he especially opposes um, that the church is a sphere just like all the others. I think that's one of his critiques. Um, and I think what he also feared again, as a consequence um, of the, of the, of the idea of sphere sovereignty is that all those spheres of, uh, well, just that that they could like use it as a way to escape um, what the confession or what God's word or what the church says about um, what it means to follow Christ concretely, right? So that that you dissect life. It's a kind of a new dualism. That it, it's a kind of irony there. I mean, the the whole idea of sphere sovereignty was, um, I think, brought up as a as a means to counter um, a dualism because it, because all the spheres are rooted and connected to Christ's lordship 
But then I think that Schilders saw that through a back door, they can again enter a new kind of dualism by saying, well, we have the sphere of the church, there we can do our religious stuff, and then we have the other spheres, and there we can just do whatever we want. And now, of course, I'm exaggerating. Um, but it's because you dissect a new kind of dualism um, can enter through the back door. Wow, interesting. And, and does he distinguish at all between Bavink and Kuiper on this? Um, something that people ask questions about quite a lot is Kuiper spoke explicitly about sphere sovereignty, Bavink doesn't really seem to, at least he doesn't use the term. I think we can still see the thinking there, but um, when he's reviewing the tradition, does he, does Schilder, um, does he seem aware of that difference? Is it important to him? Maybe it's not. Oh yeah, I mean, in general, um, he there's he's a lot more critical of uh, Kuiper mm. and not so much of Bavink. I mean, he always, very often you can hear him saying, um, you you say that I'm diverting from Kuiper, and then and then and then he says yes I am, but I'm just going back to Bavink, mm-hmm. um, and that's also how he felt himself because he was in he was he was in Kampen, right, mm-hmm. and he that felt very much the Bavink connection there, so he's hardly ever critical of Bavink, and when when he is, um, he almost apologizes for it that he is, um, right, so rightly so, the, the, it, <laughs> rightly so, rightly so, yeah yeah yeah. Of course, you'll you'll be you'll be glad to hear this stuff. Now, I think sometimes I think I think there's one quote where he's where he's discussing common grace, and then he says something like that: even such a fine spirit as that of Bavink can say such things. So he's kind of he's kind of disappointed Whoa. that Bavink <laughs> goes uh, goes on about common grace in a direction he doesn't like it. So yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a pretty a pretty big distinction there. And and also always keep in mind. I mean, he is he more than Kuiper and Bavink themselves. He's addressing the Kuiperians and the the Bavinkians around him. Um, so this idea of sphere sovereignty was very much a catchphrase, just as it is now in New Calvinist circles. Already was that um, in the in the twenties and thirties and forties. Just the words people used, also people who had no clue what it actually meant, and just using it for all kinds of purposes. And that's where he is up against. Yeah. So. Here's here's a question based on what we've been discussing um, in 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 Schilder's critique on on the ecclesiology of of Bavik and Kuiper. So the reason this part of Schilder's critique is, is like echoes with me, and I find it also very relevant in a contemporary context, is on what I just mentioned on the, this weakness in Reformed ecclesiology. Um, so the way I see it, and I'm I'm looking looking forward to hearing what you think about that is, is that like, um, so that the Reformation and this is nothing new or special. When they, when they when they moved away from Roman Catholicism, they wanted to make some changes also when it comes to ecclesiology, right? Um, they kind of like simplistically, uh, put said that the priest is no longer in between God and the individual believer, um, and. But they didn't want to go where the Anabaptists went, saying that, like the the, there's no such thing as an office, and that the institution of the church is really, there's just it's just it's just an assembly of believers, right, who are together before God, and the whole idea of office and and sacraments become way less important um, compared to just like the free uh, outpouring of the Spirit. And so my feeling is that. Well, especially in, in the United States, as we said earlier, it, ecclesiology is, is is very much in the direction of the Anabaptists. 
Um, and I also feel that in my own context, that is the case. Um, and, and, and for me also as a pastor in my context, I feel that, uh, in Amsterdam, I feel that this, this institutional part of the church is actually, um, very helpful when you are a church in an increasingly secular context and it's something you need and also uh, the offices. So my question, I guess, is do, what, what, how, do, how do you look at this, this like continuum between Roman Catholic, like very high church, institutional ecclesiology, and um, more like towards the Anabaptist uh, free church um, way of looking at it? Uh, where, where would you situate yourselves and, and what do you think is necessary in our time? Yeah, um, so I guess the way I see things is that on the one hand, I want to make more of ordination. And I think one of the things that in the Reformed evangelical world that I'm a part of, at least, is that there's not a significant enough theology of ordination quite often. And um, so I would want to heighten the visibility of the institutional forms of the church through the office, especially in public worship, and really make more of the fact of the office and the fact of ordination. And simultaneously, uh, when it comes to the reality of the organism, the fact that every single Christian has no priest except Christ, the high priest, uh, of the new covenant for them, that the way to think about those offices is that they are... Uh, the first, the first to be last. You know, the the ordained minister um, is so important and necessary, and the institution or the org- organization of the organism is so necessary because Christ Himself instituted the organism, um, and that ordination that takes place is a public recognition that God has called this particular individual of the body to be the first to be last in the midst of the body. Uh, Meaning they're examples, not priests. Uh, The offices are meant to be exemplars of the ministry that everybody's been given. And it's primarily the ordination, the office of ordination in in the twofold office that uh, does that ministry in the life of the institute um, it, it takes primarily visible form in the office, in the life of the Institute. But in the life of the organism, the church sent, uh, it's not that way, that the the elders and deacons are just first among many, and really that first among many is first to be last, the first to serve, the first to, uh, the first to give their lives away and witness. And so to me there's there's a balance between you know if you will i mean it's a, i see it as a third way it's a third way between rome and anabaptism or radical aspects of the reformation where and 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 for me too the the institute and organism distinction is exactly what you need to uphold uh the reality of what the church really is in the life of the world in the life of the world and how the the offices relate uh between the reality of the institute, the assembly gathered, and the organic church, the church sent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a rough, rough 
ecclesiology, but that's kind of the way I think about it. So I'll try and say something f- f- from a very different, um, a, a, quite a different way to answer the question, the supplements, what Corey has said. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who was an atheist who has more or less become a Christian now. And he was telling me about different churches that he had visited when he was first starting to explore the Christian faith really seriously. And he went to a few evangelical churches where he he really like, struggled to connect with the way that they were presenting the Christian faith. And the big struggle he had with that, with those evangelical churches was that they were trying so incredibly hard to make Christianity seem not weird in any way. And from his perspective, he was aware that he was an atheist until, you know, relatively recently in his life and something weird had happened within him. And he now believed in God and, and wanted to believe and was actually looking for the thing that he'd rejected before. And he he actually, he was aware that he was becoming a very different person and that he wanted things that before he would have found extremely weird only to go to evangelical churches who really bent over backwards to try and make everything seem as not weird as it possibly could be. And I think at the same time, when I was listening to him talk about this, I can sympathize with something that's good in what those evangelical churches were trying to do, which is to say to someone who is inquiring about the faith, we're human beings as well. Um, and you know, the, we inhabit the same world as you. We you know have the same struggles. Um, like we're not aliens in that sense. So there's something good there to be affirmed. But what those evangelical churches really struggle to do in their ecclesiology is to have some kind of thing that actually centers the weirdness, centers um, you know Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that centers um, you know the strangeness of of sacraments um, and and just the, the the general otherworldly oddness in this world of what Christian worship is actually all about when you really think about what's going on. And I think that for those churches, if they had something like an institution organism distinction in their ecclesiology, the organism part actually is very useful in um, helping people who are part of the church to remember. Um, that alongside their um, non-Christian friends and neighbors, you know, you can affirm common humanity. And at one level, you're not weird. You're, you know, you're, you're a human being amongst other human beings. But the organism part of the ecclesiology becomes a space where that gets um, emphasized, you know, where you can really develop that. But the institute part says we're not just like everyone else. And we're actually quite a weird community with with very weird practices and the institution actually stops you from giving up on that. So I think for my friend, you know, when he'd gone to these churches, if he'd gone to a church that had quite a well-developed neo-Calvinist ecclesiology, the church would have been able to, and its members would have been able to say to him, we're, we are like you, we're human beings. But the church would have also, as a group of people, as uh, you know, as an ecclesia called together, been able to say, and we're but we are weird and actually that's just what you're looking for too um so i think in that kind of context for evangelicals um there's quite, there's a lot to be gained in, in that kind of distinction yeah so then you just responding to you james you say that the distinction between institution and organism just helps emphasizing the institution right yeah and giving it does a, yeah a, 
give yeah giving a proper place to it which is exactly what yep. what schilder also argued for yep. yeah interesting mm. yeah cool well i you you both what you said really resonates i think with how i look at it myself that like the idea of ordination um is 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 important um i also agree cory that although we want we indeed need to to walk a middle way i'm just wondering about that word example if that's not just a little bit too if it's enough um for what ordination means I, I i think i would tend to give a little bit more words and weight to the ordained office than just being in being an example for the rest or something um i don't know if the, if if you were being limitative probably not in what you said but um not priest i agree there um but i mean even in what well, the forms we use uh, for the ordination of pastors, they, like, that language is pretty intense. I mean, that's not it's it's maybe not a priest, but it's not so far from it. There's stuff like I think there's this quote from is it Revelations where like the there are the, the, the precious tones in the in the hands of God or something. I don't know. It's it's when I first read, I was like, okay, that's pretty, that's a lot. Um, and also quotes from the letters, the pastoral epistles, um, where those who are in office will have like a will face a stronger judgment uh, compared to others something like that um yeah from james um don't all desire to be teachers knowing that you will be more severely judged yeah. right it's not pastoral epistles it's james yeah thank you um i totally agree uh also with what you with what you said james by the way on on the weirdness of the church that the institutional church helps you remember you are you are weird. Your kingdom is in the your your king is in heaven. Uh, you're a colony of heaven. Stuff like that. I, I really resonate with that, and that's exactly also why I think it is important. And I mean, Roman Catholics they do that well. They are they are weird. They have a weird liturgy, and that is, and may, maybe a bit too much, but that that is a good good and also an attractive element I think in them, also for secular people. Yeah. So on the exemplar idea, I was referencing the idea that the officers are the first to example uh, the mission of witness. So, because um, everybody's, I would see the whole church, the whole organism being called to the ministry of word and deed. And the office of elders, the minister, the office of the minister of the word, the office of deacon of the, of the ministry of deed or table serving. And so that, and so I would, I would say exemplar with respect to the organic movement outward to the to the work of witness um but i agree with you that it's more than it's certainly more than that it's not that's not enough i mean that's just an aspect right um so yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. in the the language we get have as well as you know shepherd under shepherd uh presbyteros mm -hmm. a, a presbyter uh elder yeah minister yeah. uh pastor um all of these terms uh, I mean, it also throws yeah. you into the really difficulty of how you speak about kind of the the minister and the elder as well, and whether or not you need a distinction there um, too, uh, and how, how how all that works. But yeah, no, okay, I the, I I agree there. I think, and I think there are even there are even priestly elements to um, the Protestant pastor or minister. Yeah. I mean. Um, they take, for example, that at the wake in the, Calvin, the Calvinistic liturgy, the absolution is moved from the confession seat to the pulpit, but it's still there. I mean, it's still the pastor who 
who speaks out absolution, forgiveness of sins on behalf of God for the people. So there is the sense of a priestly intermediary is still there. It's not completely lost. And I think it's also good to to keep that in place in, in, in some respects without over over overloading it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's... Um, I mean, the... We confess the priesthood of all believers, right? And um, but in something course, like the pastoral yeah. prayer, there's a priestly element mm-hmm. in that. But it's not a yes. it's not exclusive to the minister, but it but it is the minister's role in the midst of the gathered assembly of the institute, right? For work, for corporate worship. Yeah. So it's I, w- I would say it's not the only way that you can get like forgiveness of sins, um, but. But there is an exclusivity in the way that that the minister does it compared to how other people do it. I mean, not everybody administers the sacrament, not everybody preaches, right. not everybody uh, says right. So there, there is still it's layered. Yeah, um, and um, I would say, yeah, interesting, good. Well, I think um, it's time to round off our discussion. So we thought we would talk about the second part of the chapter um but we ended up doing something else um we ended up i think discussing schilder's critique on uh the ecclesiology of kuiper and baving which is also central of course in the chapter by cory and gray so that's i think um in hindsight going to be the topic of our conversation and we probably have a third conversation then on the chapter um we'll see about that but um i want to uh, thank you all for listening, for being with us this um, episode. Um, we would love to hear back from you. You can do that by rating a podcast in your podcast app. Um, you can send us an email at grazingcommonpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear feedback. Also, you can send in suggestions. Um, we also welcome donations that help us keep doing what we do. Uh, there is a link to a donor box website in the show notes. Well, thank you very much for being with us. This was great in common.